So last week, we started winding down Hebrews, the last chapter, and we saw that uh, the writer of Hebrews was telling us, like, in light of everything we said about Jesus and how great he is, he's better than, like, in light of that, here's how you should live. It should show up in your life. So there's very practical instruction, kind of threw out some practical instruction. We should love one another. We should pursue holiness because Jesus is better. So he's called us to live a certain way, and it's, it, it kind of summed it up in those two broad categories, right? Love one another and pursue holiness. And he, he kind of says that in the context of, here's why you know you can do that. Here's, here's why you know you can follow Jesus and you can trust him, is because Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's verse 8, it's right before the passage for, that we're reading today and looking at today. And so it's that idea that, hey, he's, he's always the same. He's God. He doesn't change. And so the calling that he placed on our life and the, the scriptures that we have, we can trust it because we know who Jesus is and we know that he never changes. And so the way he wants us to live is the same today as it always has been. And so he, he says, because of who Jesus is, here's how you ought to live. And now this week, he kind of, he's still giving some practical instruction. He says, and also, this is how you ought to believe. Uh, you can trust Jesus, and you can trust this gospel, and you can trust his word. Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And so what you believe really matters. So how we live uh, in response to who Jesus is really matters, and what we believe really matters. And the way that he does that is he gives us a warning, which is no surprise if you've been in Hebrews with us. He likes to give warnings from time to time. And so he gives us another warning here as he's closing this letter, and it's about false teaching. And he says, hey, don't, don't be led astray by that. And what, what, what that kind of does is it's just, it's just half of a verse here. It's just part of a verse. But I don't want to skip over it because it's kind of reminding us of this big picture of biblical truth that we see all throughout Scripture that uh, false teaching is always a serious threat. It, like scripture after scripture warns us about false teaching, and it's always a serious threat. It, it was a serious threat back then when the church was just getting started, and it's a serious threat today, 2,000 some odd years later. Like it's always a serious threat. It's always there. And, and so you think about the attacks that come against the church or the attacks against us as Christians, and we most of the time think about attacks from outside, from the world, from, from the enemy, right? And there's always those attacks. Those are always there. But those aren't the only attacks. That there's actually evidence from Scripture, and, and, and we know it's true from just life, like that, that some of the attacks actually come from within. And we have to guard ourselves from these false teachers and false teachings that will infiltrate the church. You see it all throughout Scripture. In Acts chapter 20, Paul's addressing his friends, the leadership, the elders of the church at Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem, and he's kind of giving them a farewell speech. And in verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, after I leave, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So from within the flock, from within your own selves, people are going to come up te teaching twisted things, teaching false things. And so this is always a serious threat. Even within the church, you have to guard yourself against that. The writer of Hebrews is warning against that, warning us to beware of that. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is uh, probably the last letter he wrote. This, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy some final instructions. He knows the end of his ministry and life is pretty close. In verse 3, he says, for the time is coming, Timothy, when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths or lies. And so 
you understand that he just kind of presented quite the nasty little combo here. You got people not really wanting truth anymore, not wanting sound teaching, not wanting sound doctrine. They want, just tell me something that'll make me feel good. Tell me something that'll kind of tickle my ears. Tell me something that I want to hear. Not, I, I don't care if it's true or not. Like, just tell me something good. And then you have false teachers who want to come in and infiltrate the church and take advantage of that and, and lead people astray and lead people to follow them. And so you have both of those things at work in those days and throughout time. Like that's just a part of this thing. And so the writer of Hebrews sees that, looks at that situation. He's like, hey, I, w- I want to make sure you don't do that. Don't turn away. Verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. And the, the two words he uses there are pretty important because they, they mean kind of two different things. That word diverse means uh, multifaceted. It's actually the same word in the Hebrew version of this word, same word that was used for uh, Joseph's multicolored uh, coat, his multicolored robe. It was multifaceted, it had a bunch of different colors. It's also a word that's used for an alloy of metals. When metals are coming together, combined and make one thing, it's like a, a mixture of things. And so it seems like the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, beware. Beware teaching that mixes God's word with human wisdom. This is that subtle false teaching that you hear a little bit of God's word, you hear a little bit of truth, and then you hear a whole lot of culture. You hear a little bit of God's word, you hear a little bit of truth, and you hear a whole lot of human reasoning. And yeah, I know God's word says this, and that may be true, but you know what we've figured out and what we see now, and it's just a mix of those things. And he's saying, hey, if you hear that, that mixture. It's not just God's word and who God is and how we should respond to it. Like if there's this human wisdom is creeping in and this uh, cultural wisdom is creeping in, like that's a, that's a warning flag. Beware of the teaching that is diverse like that, that's mixing God's word with human wisdom. It's not that humans don't have wisdom. It's just like, is it lining up? Is it still the same? Is it matching up with God's word or is it deviating off the course? So beware of that. The other word he used here is strange, and that word literally means alien or foreign or kind of never been seen before. Like it's a foreign thing that has come into the teaching. It's new. And so it seems like he's saying beware teaching that boasts to have discovered what the church never grasped before. Have you heard that before? It's not, it's not usually said that way, but it's subtle, right? It's like I know the church has been teaching this for 2,000 years, but we've been kind of enlightened now to figure out some things that are different. I mean, now that we're in this culture and this time and we know all the things that we know, we know that that can't be as true as we used to think it was. It's like beware of any teaching that says, hey, I got something new you never heard before. We don't want to be original around here. We want to be really, really okay with being unoriginal, just teaching you the truth of God's word, teaching you the gospel. Like that's what he's saying, like, if you see people saying, like, we've figured out something that nobody else has figured out, well, that's probably a warning sign that that's false teaching that's crept into there. And so he's warning against this. Hey, don't be led away by that. Be on the guard. Be on the lookout, which means we have to discern. We have to really discern every teaching that we're listening to because nowadays in our culture, right, that's teaching, it's so accessible. It's, It's not just, hey, in this room, right, it's a book that you might read or a podcast that you might listen to. And there's all these different kinds of sources where we can get different kinds of teaching. And some of that, most of that is really, really good. But we have to, we have to discern. And so the question is, how, how do you do that? How do you, how do you test this? If you're supposed to be aware of it and, and the warning is don't be led away with it, well, then we have to figure out how to discern this, right? We have to be listening with discerning ears. Is this true? 
or is this false teaching? Is this a false teacher or is this, is this lining up with what the Scripture teaches? And so you, even, even while you're sitting in these chairs, you ought to be listening like that. I mean, not this week, of course, but next week. Like that's, that's probably what you ought to be listening. Like, false teaching can creep in at any moment. And so let me give you two tests for this. First, and this is the most important one. Does this teaching agree with the clear teaching of Scripture? That's the, that's the test that supersedes all the tests. Like, does this teaching, is what I'm hearing, is what I'm reading, is what I'm listening to, is it line up? Does it agree with a clear teaching of Scripture? Or is there a place where it deviates and goes away from that? Or is there a place where it, it takes a hard turn and, and it's, not, it's not lining up with teaching of Scripture? It's not agreeing with Scripture. It's saying something different. Or it's saying something new that's not in the Scripture. That's a red flag. And we have to be a a discerning people as we listen. Does this teaching, that's the test. Hey, is this true or false? Well, does it line up with Scripture or not? Does it agree with Scripture or not? Which means that if you want to be discerning in this thing, you got to know your Scripture. We have to be people who know God's Word. If you don't know God's Word, you won't you won't recognize the, the false teaching. You won't know it. Like, you've got to know God's Word. So that illustration that people use all the time is such a good illustration. Like, if you want to really be an expert at identifying counterfeits, if you want to identify counterfeit money, you don't go study counterfeits. You go study the real thing, and you get it down, and you know exactly what the real thing looks like so that when something fake shows up, you know that's not it. And so we have to be people that know God's Word. We have to be people that spend time and know, and know this is the truth, this standard. It never changes because God never changes, and this is his word, and so we want to submit to it and understand that it's authority in our lives. So does this teaching agree with a clear teaching of Scripture? Well, how well you know the Scripture will help you discern that. And then the second test is, does the teacher's life bear good fruit? Does the teacher's life match this thing? It's the fruit of the Spirit showing up in the teacher that you follow, in the leaders that you sit under. Does, does their lives match that? The fruit of the Spirit showing up. Is it, is it, you see humility and love and kindness in them, or do you see pride and arrogance, and they think that's all about them, and think it's, it's like collecting an audience, and I can do it, I got this, I don't need any help. Do you see those evidences of the things that Christ is calling all of us to in your leaders? And to discern that, which kind of means that you, it's pushing you towards engagement and involvement in a local church, right? And, and there are amazing preachers that you can get their podcasts. And there are amazing books that you can listen to. But it's really hard to know those people. So you ought to be involved in a church where you know your leaders and you see their life. And, and, and please don't misunderstand that. Not that you put them up on some pedestal and expect them to be perfect. Don't do that. Don't do that to me, for sure. I will disappoint you every time. That's not what we're talking about. It's talking about long-term seeing the character, and you see the fruit. You know that they're just people, and they're going to fail, and they're going to mess up, and they're going to disappoint, but you see the, the character, the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Because why? Because you know them, because you see them, because you interact with them. And so test this test of the teacher's life bearing good fruit is important. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 7. Verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. You see what he's saying? Sometimes these teachers, they look just like us. They look like sheep. They're wearing sheep's clothing, but inside they're wolves. And what he says is a wolf will eventually act like a wolf. 
That character will come out. So test the fruit. Jesus points us to the fruit of their lives to know whether this is true or false. That's, uh, does it line up with Scripture, and what does their life really look like? Because the true character, the true fruit will eventually be seen. So that's the warning in this passage. And then what he does is he, he changes immediately, kind of points to a specific false teaching they were dealing with. And he talks about food. You know, don't be a heart that's strengthened by grace, not foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. He talks about an altar, and he talks about serving in the tent, the Jewish traditions, all that. And and it's interesting because he's writing as if the people understood exactly what false teaching he was pointing to, something related to food. But he doesn't explain it for us, so we don't know. We don't know exactly what he's talking about. Were they abstaining from foods like the Jewish Old Testament law that had kind of been released at that time? Were they doing that? Or were they celebrating feasts and festivals and eating certain foods and thinking they were going to be strengthened? We don't know exactly what specific false teaching he was talking about. And so when that happens, you kind of back up and go, okay, what's a principle that I can get out of this? What's the true spiritual biblical principle from this? And what it seems like is he's pointing to these people who were leaning back towards Judaism and leaning back towards Old Testament rituals and law and trying to do all the things to earn their way back to God. And he's pointing out this general principle with the specific example like, no, 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 you can't be justified before God by keeping the law. We can't do enough good things. Works won't get us to heaven. Works won't make us right with God. And so there's a Specific thing he's talking about that kind of points to this big picture truth of a big picture false teaching that's kind of rampant and has always been there. Maybe the number one false teaching of all time, and that is that you can somehow earn your way back to God. And so the principle is this, spiritual strength and blessing come to us by grace through faith in Christ, not works. You heard Donya read that passage from Ephesians chapter 2. That's the, the language that we're using here. That He's saying, hey, it's not about what foods you eat. It's not about what you abstain from. It's not about works. It's not about what you do. That doesn't make you right with God. There's no hope in that. There's no chance of that. We are sinners separated from a holy God. It's what Jesus did that matters. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus and only Jesus, he makes us right with God by his grace. Unmerited, undeserved, unearned. We don't get there on our own. And so that seems to be the, the big picture false teaching that kind of covers all this. And it's, it's a big one because it's always been there. The Jews always were thinking, man, we just got to do the law, keep the law, and we'll be right with God. And he's like, no one's ever done that. It's, it's impossible. And in today's day, in our culture we live in, and Bible Belt Christianity and good old boy gospel, like there's people that maybe even in this room that have bought into this false teaching. And you think right now, I'm fine with God because I'm a pretty good person. I do enough good stuff. I go to church every now and then. Maybe you're even in a community group. And you're thinking, man, I'm fine. And if you're trusting in anything outside of just Jesus for your salvation, for what made you right with God, then you've crept into and leaned into buying into a false teaching. And so spiritual strength, spiritual blessing, everything we really need only comes to us by grace through faith in Christ, not by what we do. What we do is in response to what he's done. That seems to be the false teaching that he's pointing us to. And then what he does here is he points us to Jesus like he always does. And he says, hey, you know the sacrifice of atonement, when they made that sacrifice, after the sacrifice was done, they would take the animal and they wouldn't eat it. They would actually take it out of the camp and burn it to just signify that all, this, all the sin was atoned for, it was cursed, all the different kinds of things. Like, you know what Jesus did? He, he suffered outside the city. He suffered outside the gate. He suffered outside the camp. He, he endured the cross 
despising the shame, for the joy set before him. He was willing to suffer like that. And so he points us to Jesus and he points us to his sacrifice because what he wants to tell us is like, I want you to identify with Jesus. The whole letter he's telling us that over and over again. Fully identify with Jesus. Follow Jesus. Trust Jesus. And to fully identify with Jesus means that we follow him outside the camp to the place of suffering, to the life that he's called us to. As we fully identify with Jesus, we will follow him no matter the cost. That's what everything in this letter is pointing us to this moment. So you really identify with Jesus. You really trust Jesus. You really know that he's better. You will follow him no matter what it costs you. You'll follow him outside of your comfort zone. You will join him outside the camp. When you follow him outside the camp, when you follow him to that place, you find that he's there. Not waiting on him. Not worrying if he's around, like he's, he's there, that's where he suffered, and he invites us and calls us to join him there, which means, it means it may cost us some things. It may, may, may mean that we're not as popular as we want to be. Maybe we don't have as much as we think that we should have. There's so many different ways that we may be called to sacrifice and suffer as we follow Jesus. And he's kind of saying that's what the Christian life looks like. And Jesus said, the world has hated me. And he came as God's son to love, to serve, to teach, to be an example, all the things, and they killed him for it. And if the world hates me, they will definitely hate you if you follow me. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what life looks like sometimes, and that's what he calls us to. And he's saying, join him. If you follow him, join him outside the camp. Follow him no matter what the cost, which is One of the reasons why we wanted to give so much time today to these testimonies, and we'll give some time next week to some other testimonies from some of these students that have gone, some of these other people, uh, some of our adults that have gone, because we want to put this in front of you as the normal Christian life. Students serving, people serving on mission, going and making Jesus known in places where the the gospel is weak and non-existent, uh, like that is what the normal Christian life looks like. And it may mean that you give up some things, it may mean that you sacrifice some things, it may mean you don't do everything you want to do because you're joining God, you're joining in the mission, and you're meeting him outside the camp, and it may even lead to some suffering for some of us. But this is what it's supposed to look like. When you... When you trust in Jesus and you put your faith in him and you decide you're going to live for him, it's not supposed to make sense to the rest of the world. And that's hard for us because we want it to. We want to look good. It's not supposed to. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 22 through 24, Paul says this, The Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Do you see it? This gospel message, when you say, this is what I believe and this is how I'm going to live, that'll be offensive to the self-righteous. Because the self-righteous says, I'm fine without that. And the gospel message is, nobody's fine. Jesus had to die in your place. That's offensive to the self-righteous. And your life will be offensive to the self-righteous. And to the rest of the world, it'll just be foolish. It'll look crazy. You're following what? You believe what? It doesn't make sense. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's what the Bible says, that this gospel message is the power of God. It's the only hope for all of us, for all eternity. And it's the wisdom of God. So it's the only way that I can live the life that God's called me to, the life that will really make sense with purpose, meaning, satisfaction. It's only found in the gospel. It's only found in who Jesus is and what he's done. And so I'm going to live on that. I'm, I'm going to stand firm in my faith and believe that, and I'm going to live according to that. And the end result is it won't make sense to the rest of the world. 
It's not supposed to. It's supposed to show them something so different that they start wondering, maybe, maybe there's something I'm missing. Let's live that way, joining Jesus outside the camp, no matter what it costs, because he's better and he's worth it. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the challenge that it presents to us all the time, the reminder that we get from it. God, help us to be a people that know your word, are devoted to your word, so much so that we know how to discern the threat of false teaching. and We recognize it and we, we, we move away from it. Help us to be that. And, and, and Jesus, help us to follow you outside of the comfort zone, outside of maybe what we think, no matter what it costs us, help us to be willing to follow you because we know how great you are, because we know that you suffered outside the gates and we can trust you. And Jesus, thank you for being the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's in your name we pray, amen.